0: The relevancy of the scriptures can only be seen deeper and deeper and more and more as we live our lives. and We get older and we see, And here it is, the very words of God himself, the inspired, preserved uh, words of God. Verse number one of chapter eight. And when it opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so this evening, brethren, as we go into chapter 8, God's servants, as we know we've been looking at, have been sealed in chapter 7. That's what chapter 7 was all about. There was a parenthesis in between the seals, the judgment seals, and now as we go into chapter 8, there's going to be the trumpet judgments of God. And uh, now that he's removing the seventh seal, which he does here in chapter 8, The scroll that he took from the Father's hand now is going to be unrolled, and that's going to be quite an amazing thing. Up to this point, it's been sealed, it's been closed, and all the seals, the Lord, the Lamb of God has been taking off, and now he takes the seventh one off, which eventually we're going to look at the scroll, then can be unrolled, which is very, very important. The trumpet and the bold judgments that follow, the opening of the seventh seal, do indeed, as we kind of looked at together last week, telescope- out of each other in sequence. There's a sequential thing that God is is doing here in these judgments, for sure. And uh, as they intensify, the judgments of God we're going to see this evening are going to do nothing but intensify as we move through this, as we work our way through this. In fact, it's an intensifying judgments of God for, if you will, they take place over an ordained period of time. And I want you to see this again as this As the judgments again are ramped back up, if God again turns his his wrath, if you will, towards those who are yet upon the earth, there is a set judgment of time. And so let's look at that quickly. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. I want you to see the fifth trumpet. There's specific time, there's a a specific duration of these judgments. Um, And you look there at uh, Revelation chapter 9, look at verse number uh, uh, 10. Revelation chapter 9, look at verse number 10. Uh, the Bible says, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power to hurt the men was five months. And so again, we see a very ordained, if you will, period of time in which these judgments, God is going to unleash these things, and there's a set period of time. Some of them we know, some of them we are not so sure about. The scripture doesn't necessarily say, that's the fifth trumpet. Look at the sixth trumpet again. We see very carefully a ordained time In which this is going to take place. Look there at verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter. Look there, if you will. Saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet. This again is the sixth trumpet that sounded. Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed which were prepared for. Look at how detailed. An hour. Look what it says there. You see that? For an hour For a day, a month, and a year. And so, again, very specific. God is very specific when this stuff is going to be taking place. And as far as the duration of that, for to slay a third part of men. So this evening we see this, a very set purpose. God has a very set time. And His glorious purpose for all of this in the end is to glorify Himself. Amen. I mean, this is the amazing thing. Two things that take place in the book of Revelation... Two central focuses that we see in the book of Revelation. One is, again, we're going to see it tonight. The Jewishness of the book of Revelation just cannot be overlooked. One of the purposes of the book of Revelation as we move along through these things is for God to, if you will, call out Israel. Amen. His chosen people. They are still part of his glorious purpose and plan. And again, we're going to see that this evening as we look at that together. But John here in our text by way of his inspired pen records in verse 1 that there was silence in heaven for about and half an hour. What an eerie brother and ominous if you will words I put in there contrast to what we've been witness to up to this point. We remember don't we I mean this is total and complete silence. Think of that for a moment think of old Pastor Mike or Pastor Dean's up here on Sunday morning we're preaching away and we just stopped just for five minutes and said nothing just think of how, think of how that would look what people would start thinking i want you to think about this for a moment for in half an hour this is such a eerie and ominous thing that takes place in heaven considering what we have seen you remember don't you in chapters 4 5 and 7 all describe heaven brethren as uh, if you will uh, it that describes it as a place of worship a place of praise A place of song and and dance. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And yet here we get to chapter 8. In the very first verse, right before the judgments of God, the trumpet judgments are going to come. They call for silence. It's an amazing thing. Think about this for a moment. There's a hush here in the land of praise. The four beasts, just thinking back over what we've seen in the text. The four beasts and the elders are silent. You remember what they were doing? They would pray, saying, What holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Continually they are silent. Think of that for a moment, brethren. The praying martyrs who we looked at, who were under the altar, who were saying, and the Bible says with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, they are silent. It's amazing. I get, I mean, I don't know, I got goosebumps. It just sends chills up your spine, thinking what God is preparing to do the angels, and the redeemed multitudes are all silent. There are no divine pronouncements from the throne. We saw that over and over again earlier on. All of heaven sits in total and complete silence. Now many of you, if you've been around the fundamental circles like I have, many of you, I'm sure, have heard men joke about this verse, right? About... Women being silent. What a miraculous thing that is that women are going to be silent. But brethren, this is no laughing matter. This is a verse that I've never laughed at. And I don't think we should ever laugh at. Because of what is going to take place. What does this represent? That all of a sudden there is just silence in heaven. What does it bring to pass? What does it mean as we look at that? In fact, Holy Writ does indeed show us a pattern. And this is what's interesting of silence associated with the recognition of God's holiness and His impending judgments. You can't believe, brother, the number of times. You look in Scripture, and right before God will send a judgment, He tells the earth to be silent. He tells all to be silent. And the next thing you know, He's unleashing uh, judgment on Israel or whatever may come to be. In fact, look, if you will, in the book of Habakkuk with me, Habakkuk chapter two. Again, one of these little, uh, if you will, prophets. You know, he's called a what? A minor prophet. Anybody know why Habakkuk's a minor prophet? Well, it's not because he's small or because he's unimportant, but because it's short. Hey, man, there's three. There's three chapters in the book of Habakkuk. Turn there with me, if you would. We'll take a look at this together. Uh, I got to find it myself. There it is, Habakkuk chapter two. And uh, I want you to see this with me, if you would. Again, the idea of silence before judgment. Silence before judgment. Verse 18, look at what he says. And we know Habakkuk, we know what's taking place. Again, brethren, you remember the prophets of old (laughs) had a arduous task. Anybody remember, it's Wednesday evening, I wish I would have got down there because I want to ask questions. Anybody remember the main task of a prophet of God in the Old Testament? One of them was what to reveal that which God inspired them and gave them, right? But secondarily, and almost as important, was the the, the the job of a prophet of God. If you look carefully, was always to call a sinning people to repentance. That's the main. That's one of the main purposes. That's what they would do. Look at Isaiah. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Ezekiel. I mean, all of them. That's what God would send. That that is, in, brothers and, and sisters, it's an, an enviable task. It is a most amazing task, but God would send them. Habakkuk's in the same spot. Israel has, again, done what they always do, except there's what we call a dual prophecy in the book of Habakkuk here. There's a dual purpose. There's something that's meaningful for them when he was writing to them and telling them, here's what God said, but there's also something that he was speaking of in the future. But I want you to see verse chapter 2, look at verse number 18 there again. Silence before judgment. Silence before judgment. Verse 18. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image, a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Imagine that in other places. You know, God has a way of reasoning with us, doesn't he? He reasons with us, and he says things like this. Well, let me get this right. You cut this tree down. You fashioned it into an idol. You use part of the wood to burn a fire, and then you're bowing down to it? Does that make sense? This is what God does. He's reasoning, saying, think this through, brethren. You're going to chop down a tree and fashion it after your own image, and then burn some of the wood, and then you're going to bow down to it? It can't speak, it can't hear, it can do nothing. Here, again, the prophet Habakkuk, here he is. He says to them in verse 19, Woe unto him that saith to the wood awake, to the dumb stone arise, It shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver. There is no breath at all in the midst of it. Here again we see God speaking to them in terms of, think this through, brethren. What are you doing? Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth, what? Keep silence. Do You see that there? Now, what follows chapter 2? This is what I want you to see. He's telling all the earth, he's telling all of them to keep silence. In the back of chapter 3, if you turn there with me just over to the next chapter, you will see what I'm talking about, a dual prophecy. There is the invasion of the Chaldeans, which is relevant for them today, but that was a type and a picture of something much greater. In fact, it goes right to the heart of the book of Revelation, which is really quite an amazing thing. Look at verse 16 there, if you would. Habakkuk chapter 3, look at verse number 16. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. What is he talking about? Here's the thing, right? One of the things that the prophets of God knew is that when God said he was going to do something, you know what he did? He did it. Perfectly exactly as he said. This is, again, a prophecy of the invasion of the Chaldeans as God's going to bring them down and take the nation of Israel captive. And all Habakkuk can do is, uh, my knees are shaking, my lips are quivering, because I know that God is going to bring to pass this judgment as he said he will. Now look what he says there. That I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. A, if you will, a reference to the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. Look at verse 17. Listen to the language. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. Well, brother, what's the fig tree a symbol of? What's the fig tree is always a type of in the Bible? Well, the nation of Israel. The fig, they're, they're, they're known for that. And So God here is talking about the nation of Israel during the time of the tribulation and what he's going to do to them future. That's what this absolutely is about. Fruit of the vine. Now the fruit of the vines is what? That's their spiritual condition. So he's talking about Israel and their spiritual condition during the time of the great tribulation. And he says, this this thing's going to come upon you. But be silent because this judgment is coming. Look what he says. The labor of the olive shall fall, fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, There shall be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, speaking of those who are the elect, the saved of God. Now what you see there, brethren, literally, the rest of verse 17 there does describe the terrible conditions during the time of the tribulation. This is what it's referencing to. We see it again over and over again in the Old Testament. Silence before judgment. All the earth needs to be silent before God, and then he brings this Invasion of the Chaldeans. He brings these things upon the nation of Israel. After he's told them to be silent. Look at just one more. Look at Zephaniah. There's many of them. Just one book over. uh, Or two. Yeah, Habakkuk. Yeah, Zephaniah. Look at Zephaniah, if you would, with me. Chapter 1. And uh, look again here what God tells his prophet to write. Again, the idea here is keeping silence before judgment. And look here what Zephaniah writes. Look at verse... Number two, Zephaniah chapter 1, look at verse number two. He says here, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks of the wicked. And I will cut off man from the land, saith the Lord. Quickly go to verse seven. Tells them of the judgment. Look what he tells them to do. Hold thy peace. He says in verse seven again, keep silent. Because judgment's coming, and I'm going to show you how I'm going to bring that to pass. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. Uh, Look at that. For the day of the Lord is at hand. Again, that's a reference to his second coming. Again, this is Old Testament prophecy that has dual meaning, and it points forward. The day of the Lord is at hand. Look at verse, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his Yes, no, we don't have time to look at this tonight. We will when we get to chapter 19. But if you go to chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 17 and 18, you'll see the great supper of the Lamb, of the Lord, of God. It's called the great supper of God, where God invites the birds of the air and all these people uh, to come and eat, to come and literally eat the flesh of those who are rebelling against God. This is what we're seeing here. This is what Zephaniah is talking about. This glorious day in which God will come. But yet, he says to keep silent. Keep silent. Although we know, brother, don't where the trumpet's gonna sound, but until that happens, everyone's to keep silence. We see that. In fact, I like what one pastor said. He said, here on earth, he said, we see people call for a moment of silence in the aftermath of traumatic events. And I mean we see it we see it all the time. I mean, what's one big one you can think of where People were asking for a moment of silence and repentance in the nation. Remember? It wasn't too long ago. Well, maybe it isn't our age, but wasn't that 2000? When? When was that? September what? 11th. Remember that? Remember that? They call all the churches. We need to have a moment of silence. We need to pray for what's happened. People on earth do it after it's happened. Not here. Not God. God does it before it happens. Be silent. Be silent. Because he's sovereign. He knows the judgment that's coming. And he says, before it happens, I want you to be silent. It is quite, brother, quite a contrast, if you will, isn't it? It really is. The heavy hand of God is about to stroke, and all of heaven falls silent. All of it. With great anticipation in the face of his impending judgments. I want you to look there, if you would, Revelation chapter 8. Look at verse number 2. So, verse number 1 we lay the groundwork out there again brother that's not a that's not a laughing verse making fun of women being quiet and that this is a serious serious note that we are seeing unfold here in revelation chapter 8 look at verse number 2 the bible says there and i saw the seven angels which stood before god and then were given seven trumpets now we've talked a little bit about this, we've touched on this a little bit, but I want us to notice that it is by divine permission that these seven angels are given seven trumpets to initiate God's judgments that come forth once they're sounded. This is the idea here, that God sovereignly is going to use these angels. He's given them permission and at His command they are to sound and then just like the seals, When the seal was opened, judgment immediately. When the trumpet sounds, when God says, sound forth, you know what comes immediately? God's judgment comes immediately. Just like in the bowls. It's an amazing thing. There is a sequential thing that takes place. God says it, it happens, and then judgment comes. Kind of a dark thing, isn't it, as we're talking? The book of Revelation is full of these things. Warnings, brother. But you see that there, don't you? Look at verse... 6 and 7. These angels from verse 2, we find them there in verses 6 and 7. And the seven angels which had seven trumpets prepared themselves to what? To sound. So again, we see God's divine giving them permission. You can now sound. And when I tell you to sound, look at verse 7. What happens? Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire. And again, the judgment of God falls immediately. But this, again, is sovereign God working out his glorious, perfect plan. To draw his elect, to save his elect, to turn Israel to Christ. This is what he's doing in all of it. But one of the things we notice is that as the judgments progress, it's an amazing thing, they escalate in their intensity. This is the thing, brethren, we see. We take note that the trumpet judgments are a little more severe than the seal judgments. But they're not near as severe as the bold judgments that are to come. It's an amazing thing. Again, we see this intensity. It starts, God ratchets it up, and then finally with the bold judgments of God, as he brings it to a final conclusion, that thing is in full bloom. It is an amazing thing. I want you to see this. And we kind of touched on this a little bit last week. Again, thinking, keeping in mind that The trumpet judgments are a little more severe than the seal judgments, but they're not as severe as the the bull judgments. So we see the seal judgments. Look, again, we kind of touched a little bit on this last week, but I want you to see this. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse number 8. And again, as we looked at this, this, of course, is the opening of the seals. And this, of course, we find there in verse number 8. Look what the Bible says. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So we see there again, they're limited. God's allowing them to kill a quarter of the population, if you will, on the earth. Look at the trumpet judgments. Look at chapter 9, look at verse 15. Again, we see the same thing, except it's a little more severe. Now, I'm not a math wizard, but uh, my kids can attest to that. My wife can attest to that. But I do know that a third is bigger than a quarter, isn't it? At least the last time I checked. No, I might have to get Brother Graham up here. He knows numbers. He, he can explain that to me. But I believe it is. So, in the seal judgment, a quarter are killed. And here in the trumpet judgment, of course, we see here again. This is, look at chapter 9, look at verse 15. Look at what the Bible says. And the four angels were loosed, and which were prepared an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, there are those verses again, to slay a third part of men. And so we see it intensifying. It's a quarter, then it's a third. Remember, we did the math last week. A quarter and a third, but it's bigger. It's intensifying more and more. In fact, we see it again in Revelation chapter 8. Look at the second trumpet. Look at verse number 8. Revelation chapter 8, verse number 8. Look again, just as an example to see this, how it escalates. Verse 8, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain (laughs) burning, with fire was cast into the sea. And a third part of the sea became blood. And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea uh, that had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. And so again, very limited. God is allowing just a third part. Here in the trumpet judgments. Look what happens in the bowl judgment. Again, it's Ratchet it up. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 16. This is the second bowl, again, as he is progressing along. That's why, again, as we talked last week, there are some brothers who believe that these are all the same judgments just being talked about going at the same time. They are not. They are slowly but surely being ratcheted up. Amen. It is indeed a timeline of God. We looked at that a month, five months. It's It's an hour. It's a day. It's a year all these things. It's something that is progressing along as God is raining these judgments down. Look at verse number 3. Revelation 16, verse number 3, of course, is the second, uh, if you will, bowl, the second vial. Verse 3, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as were blood of the dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So in other words, it went from a third to complete... It's completely done now. This again, when the bold judgments come, brethren, the end is coming very soon. And so what he's doing is a quarter, a third, and then in the end, by the time the bold judgment comes, they are completely, completely washed out because of his intensifying judgments upon those who are still upon the earth. The first four trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, as they are sounded, destroy a third part of the earth's ecology. We know this. Trumpets 5 and 6, as they are sounded, unleash the demonic destruction of a third of humanity. We know this. This is what the Bible says. And the seventh trumpet, remember we looked at this last week, or otherwise known as the third woe, the seventh trumpet, the third war, sounds and introduces the final outpouring of God's wrath that is contained in the seven bowl judgments. judgment. This is what we're talking about. This is just like the seventh seal, brother. You notice... The seventh seal, there's no judgment. It just opens up some more judgments, right? It's the same thing. When you get to the seventh trumpet, there's no judgment. But it opens up the bowl judgments. It's an amazing thing. Again, they just telescope off of one another. And they just go right in sequence, if you will. Which is amazing to me. The construct of what God is going to be doing is quite amazing. So we look there again, if you would, back at Revelation chapter 8. So we see this progression, we see why, brethren, there is silence in heaven for about an half an hour. Because they're all stunned with anticipation, waiting to see what God is going to do. And uh, it is quite, as I say, an amazing thing. Now I want us to notice there in verses 3 and 4, verse 3 particularly how it starts, and another angel, and that's very important as we Look at these verses. Came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense. That he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. Upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints. Ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Did you catch there what broke the silence? (laughs) Did you catch what broke the silence? The prayers of the saints broke the silence. It's an amazing thing. The prayers of the saints break it open, and then as we get down to, the, to verse 7, the first blowing of the, of the trumpet breaks that silence as well. But we see here all the silence is broken by the prayers of the saints. It is quite an amazing and most beautiful thing. John's religious affections here in verse 3 are uh, drawn to another angel who comes and stands at the altar, the Bible says. And our religious affections are once again drawn to the Jewishness of the book of Revelation. Because where does the altar come from? It's all tied back to Israel, the way that they worshipped, how they worshipped. I mean, all of it. It's an amazing thing to see. And I sound like a repeating broken record, but the Bible keeps repeating that. It keeps telling us that, that yes, this is connected to the Old Testament Jews, who I'm still working on. So our religious affections are definitely drawn to that, that biblical truth. Because of the intensity, or if you will, the intercessory service at the altar by this angel, there are some who believe that this angel is the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not. But it's amazing the number of people who think that it is Jesus because of his his intercessory work here, the angel. But there's a couple of reasons why I don't, and I'll give those to you this evening as we kind of, let's see, what do I got left? Yeah, we'll kind of bring this, if you will, to... A close this evening. First of all, brethren, one of the things that we have seen in Scripture so far, the Lord Jesus Christ is identified in the heavenly courts as the Lamb. Always. Thereby, if you will, brother, distinguishing Him from the angels. That's first and foremost. Never one time, can I say it? Never ever, not once, ever, is Jesus ever identified in the New Testament as an angel. time now he comes as a christophany in the old testament doesn't he he sure does but never in the new testament but we see here that he is already identified as the lamb who is in heaven look at revelation chapter 5 we'll just look at a couple of them again his identification this is not christ because he's already been identified for us look at verse number six revelation 5 verse number six And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, that had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into the earth. So again, the lamb is identified there. Look at chapter 6, verse number 1. Again, Jesus identifies the lamb. He's not an angel. There he is, the lamb, who is, what? Opening the seals. Why is that important? Because he's the only one. Remember John's call, is there anybody? Christ in his perfectness was able alone to open the seals. Look at verse number 1. I saw the Lamb open one of the seals and heard, as it were, the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying, Come, and see. So again, he's identified. Look at chapter 7, verse 17. Just a couple of them here. It goes on and on. Look at verse 17. Chapter 7, verse 17 again there. Brothers, if you would look there, the Bible says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them unto living foundations of w- fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. So again, the Lord Jesus is always identified. Always specifically identified as the Lamb. Specifically in these texts. The angel in verse 3, if we notice there in our text, look at verse number 3. And another angel. That word another draws our immediate attention. Because it describes it's described as another, meaning those of the same kind. Those of the angels of verse 2 and those of the angels of verse 7. The Lord Jesus is much higher than what? The angels. So we see some another angel. Not that they're not important. God uses them, no question about that. But we do notice again that Jesus never ever is identified as an angel anywhere in the New Testament. Now even though this angel, as we see in verses 3 and 4, is involved in presenting the prayers of the saints to God, And he's involved. He's ministering there. It's an amazing thing. As he's making, if you will, it is not him who makes these prayers acceptable. If you look at verse 4, he's an instrument used by God to present them. That's all he is. Christ alone makes the prayers, what? Worthy. He's the one who makes us worthy. He's the one who we can pray tonight. And we did pray tonight. Why? Because... Pastor Mike's worthy because Brother Graham over here is worthy, because over here, Brother John, he's worthy. No, we're worthy because of the Lamb who makes us worthy, amen? He's the one that makes our prayers worthy, not the angel. Look at verse 4. He's a ministering angel there who certainly is being used by God, but I want you to notice, in the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of what? Out of the angel's hand. He is a minister there who... Is being used by God. He doesn't make the prayers holy. He doesn't make them right. But he certainly is there. So there is, in my opinion, as I look at Scripture, he is not. This angel is not Christ. It is an angel, another angel of the same source of chapter two, or verse two and verse number seven. Now, finally, brethren, look at this great contrast. Just a couple more minutes. Look at verses five and six. This is just an amazing contrast that we see. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Again, God's judgment is being unleashed. The silence is being broken. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, I want us to notice that the same censer that was just used in verses 3 and 4 to make an offering unto God. Think of this for a moment, brother. The same censer that was being used by the angel to make an offering unto God. Of incense mingled with the prayers of all the saints. Is now filled with fire. Oh, it's amazing, brother, when you understand this. From the altar that becomes a symbol of God's divine wrath. Think of that change just in one verse. From a censer that's being offered up, the prayers of the saints with the incense, to being and becoming a symbol of God's divine wrath. And by the angel doing what he did, casting it down, it's an amazing thing. It, when, when he does that, after the prayers of the saints rise to the presence of God, judgment plunges, plunges to the earth. It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to get a hold of that. The angel's act of casting the censer to the earth reveals... That indeed God's judgment will come in direct response to the prayers of his people. That's what that's all enveloped to do. Sometimes we think we pray again. We don't pray past the ceiling. Our prayers don't answer enter anywhere. But they do, brother. They do. They go into the ears of sovereign God himself. And God, obviously here in his sovereignty, reacts to the prayers of his people. As the angel indicates By throwing, casting that down, that judgment is going to follow. In fact, verse 7, as we close, in verse number 7 again, the angels are standing ready. To what? To sound. They're standing ready to sound when God says, it's time for you to sound. They will sound, and this will happen. Let's close with verse number 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all the green grass was burnt up. So we see this again. All of this is leading. God puts, if you will, even in the first six verses, he puts a little parenthesis in there, doesn't he? As he does his work, as the prayers of the saints, and then he just sovereignly lets it loose. As he calls that angel to sound. And we're going to see that again, this progression. God's glorious judgments for His glorious purposes to bring about all of His glorious ends. Amen? That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. It sounds deep and dark, but it's glorious. It's a glorious thing because God is, God is indeed saving some and bringing judgment and wrath upon others as He wills and sees fit. So let's pray as we close. Father, this evening, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank you for its continuity, its truthfulness. And Father, we pray as we work our way through this glorious book. We see so many attributes, your glorious and holy attributes. We see your patience, we see your loving kindness we see your salvation. We see your people being sealed and saved and covered protected. And we also see the other side of that. Where your wrath is poured out upon those to whom you have fitted for destruction. You will have mercy on whom you will have mercy. And Father, we certainly see that this evening have seen it and now Lord as we depart this place this evening again we pray for holiness in all of our lives we pray if there's any secret thing that you see secret thing we may be hiding from others we pray you grant unto us repentance pray father that you be gracious to us and transform us more and more into the image of your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is truly in his name that we pray.